It's June 26, 2019, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. First up, we've got David Miyashiro. He's here to tell us about the CS for Hawaii Coalition meeting coming up. And then we have Josh Stanbro from the city and county's resilience office, and he's going to join us to tell us about the Oahu Resilience Strategy. Of course, first, I'm happy to have David Miyashiro from the from Hawaii Kids Can, and he's here to tell us about the uh, CS for Hawaii or Computer Science for Hawaii Coalition Meetup. Welcome to the show, David. Hey, thanks for having me, Bert. Now, tell us a little bit about Hawaii Kids Can, because I know this is the first time I've had you on, and I, you know, I don't know if I've ever, you know, had an opportunity to really ask you what the Hawaii Kids Can is all about. I know, Bert. I feel like we've been working together for a while now. So <laughs> thanks for squeezing me in. Uh, oh, I'm not eventually. squeezed. I mean, you know, this is. <laughs> I, 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 I honestly wanted to have you on because of you know this uh, coalition meetup you having. But Hawaii Kids Can, tell me about that. Yeah, well, you know, obviously the the reason we've been working together uh, over the last couple of years is, you know, Hawaii Kids Can is a nonprofit organization. It's focused on building innovation equity in our school system. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that intersects with folks in the business community, uh, higher education, uh, schools themselves, and, you know, anybody really who wants to see Hawaii thrive uh, for the next generation. So you were pretty active with, uh, you know, getting some of the legislation passed that had to do with computer science in education. Maybe tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, you know, I think we all want to see our... Uh, our community here in Hawaii uh, be more engaged civically, right? Uh, I don't think it makes any of us proud to be, you know, up in the top uh, one, two, or three in the lowest voter participation rate. So, uh, you know, any opportunity to get students, teachers, community members involved in the legislative process around something they're passionate about, that's what gets me excited. So uh, we are really excited uh, in the 2018 legislative session to focus on computer science education. So, uh, we brought some really smart kids from Campbell High School down to the legislature, um, you know, kids who are taking computer science courses, and they're the ones who really got that, that, that bill across the finish line. Yeah, no, I, I, I like the fact that you actually brought the kids to the legislature and had them interact with the legislators themselves. I mean, that's really, that really gives the legislators, you know, an idea of who's out there and who would benefit from this, uh, you know, passing of the bill. Yeah, you know. There's nothing that I can say that's quite as compelling or powerful as when you hear a girl like uh, this. Uh, she was a senior at Campbell at the time, mm-hmm. Henrietta, but first first one in her family to go to college. Uh, you know, she on a whim, um, she had a teacher who convinced her to take AP computer science. She did, she was somebody who before that point uh, hadn't thought it was something for her, but she did well in it, and now uh, she's at HPU majoring in computer science. That's so great. that's how you break down the gender gap and, and underrepresented. Uh, minorities in, in uh, computer science. Now, the this uh, CS for Hawaii coalition. What are you trying to pull together uh, with with some of the ver- variety of people that are out there? Yeah. So uh, for that 2018 session, we worked really closely with an organization called Code.org, which mm-hmm. I'm sure uh, a lot of your members are familiar with. I, I know you've had Katie Hendrickson mm-hmm. from Code.org come and in Shane and Appleseed. speak. Yep. Uh, so you know we'd work closely. Uh, to get that bill passed and, and signed by the governor. And in that process, we found you know lots of folks locally and nationally were interested in getting involved. So we had uh, companies, um, you know, or, or folks, you know, from companies like Oceanit, uh, organizations like Project Lead the Way, STEMWorks, 
um, you know, nationally, Microsoft, Apple, uh, everybody was paying attention. So we're like, you know, we can't let this momentum die. We've mm-hmm. got this awesome group here. You know, how do we kind of build something that's a little more structured uh, so we can keep this going? Now, what is it that you want to keep going? Yeah. So, you know, when I think about the the word computer or the, the name computer science for Hawaii, I think about it in a couple of ways. So one, um, for anybody who's familiar with computer science for all or CS for all, you know, it's really the idea that computer science is something that can be valuable to anybody. And anybody uh, has the, the right, really, to, to have access to those opportunities to learn and grow. Um, but when I think about CS for Hawaii, specifically what gets me excited is it's not just about making sure that students in school have those opportunities, but that they're actually able to leverage it for our local economy and build out you know, new companies, uh, this new economic pillar built, to, built around STEM education. Mm-hmm. And how do you see the coalition perhaps impacting that, that uh, initiative or that agenda? Yeah. So again, you know, I think there's a lot of power in cross-sector partnerships, right? So for us as the nonprofit, we're the ones trying to connect the bridges, you know, build the bridges, connect the dots. Mm-hmm. But the, the real growth and understanding comes from when, you know, you've got somebody who, uh, you know, let's say they're a teacher at Campbell uh, who teaches AP computer science. And they're at the same table as professionals from Microsoft and Apple and local entrepreneurs and, and uh, you know, software developers from companies like Oceanit, right? Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that you have this rich, diverse uh, you know, set of folks coming together around common goals. And so uh, the meeting that's coming up on July 1st, uh, it's going to be at 2.30 in the afternoon at Sultan Ventures downtown, um, really is going to be kind of the next set of planning for, uh, you know, the remainder of this year, but also looking to next legislative uh, session as well. And actually kind of come up with some ideas or plans for what would be introduced to the, uh, the legislature? Yeah, you know, it's a really exciting time in computer science generally, uh, you know, locally, but also nationally. And you're seeing states really taking huge strides. So I've got to shout out the uh, Hawaii Department of Education, um, you know, Co.org has, tracks, uh, you know, how many different kind of their recommended policies each state has taken or, or you know, has, has implemented. And, you know, Hawaii has kind of shot up to the top of the list. So I think we've now completed seven out of nine of the recommended policies. And so, you know, over the just the last couple of years, you know, the legislators, uh, legislatures put in money for computer science education, for teachers to learn. Um, the, uh, the DOE passed... Um, uh, state standards for computer science. So you know, we're saying com- computer science, we don't mean, you know, typewriting, right? Like this is, there's rigor behind it. And mm-hmm. there's really, uh, you know, it's about computational thinking. So, you know, we've, I'm really excited because I've seen the growth and, and just the understanding from so many educators about what computer science is. So where can people sign up uh, if they want to attend the the coalition meeting? Yeah, so I, I would imagine a lot of your listeners are on social media. So uh, you can find information at Hawaii Kids Can. At, we're on um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, we also have uh, CS for Hawaii uh, handles as well. So C-S-F-O-R-H-I. Okay, I'll put that up on our show notes for later on. Thanks, David, for joining us. Thanks, Bert. It's been fun. And, of course, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Josh Stanbro. And we'll talk about the Oahu Resilience Strategy. Don't go away. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Now joining us is Josh Stanbro. Josh is the Chief Resilience Officer and Executive Director of the City and County of Honolulu's Office of Climate Change, Sustainability, and Resilience. Welcome to Bite Marks Cafe. Aloha, Bert. It's great to be here. I cannot believe that you are also a first-timer on Bite Marks Cafe. I know. It's a day of firsts here to have yeah. us in the studio. I'm glad to be here. I've listened well, to your show for years, and now I get to be here. So well, Very good. Well, you know, I... I Definitely wanted to have you come on and talk about this resilience strategy and, you know, maybe tell us a little bit. Well, maybe first off, tell us a little bit about the office. What do you guys do at the Office of Climate Change, Sustainability and Resilience? Yeah, it's a long, it's a mouthful. Uh, but you can thank the voters of Oahu for uh, for the long title. So mm-hmm. we, we were actually established by voters in 2016. Um, you know, folks in Hawaii, um, don't they're not they don't move around a lot you know i mean they 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 tend to be in one space they live here they grow up here they're in the water they're in the mountains and they know that climate's changing around them and so um you know even national polls we see 10 15 percentage points higher for folks recognizing climate change is happening and that it, it poses a, a serious threat to them personally here in the islands uh, as opposed to the continent. So I think part of that's what motivated voters to say we need an office that's dedicated to the threat of our time. Um, and we want to make sure that we're on the forefront of resilience issues, making sure that we're safe and secure going forward uh, in the climate crisis. And and so, you know, we've really tried to carry that torch um, and, and make the voters of the island proud. Um, Mayor Caldwell has been supportive, um, you know, of, of getting the office on the ballot and then um, and then supporting our effort. And the council has been really supportive, too. So we've been able to hit the ground running and build our staff, um, make some partnerships with philanthropy, with the Rockefeller Foundation and with Bloomberg Philanthropies. Uh, so we've been able to build some capacity and and put out this strategy um, that we really think is the key to, um, you know, keeping our islands as a vulnerable island community on the forefront of uh, climate Resilience. Well, you know, you're absolutely right in terms of us as as uh, the community that lives on an island, and and anybody who has uh, grown up here, you know, whether you're camping out at uh, Kualoa or now noticing that there's these things called king tides, and whether it's erosion on the beach or the tides are coming up, you know, almost to the sidewalk, you can't you can't ignore any of that. Yeah, it's no joke. I mean, we've lost 25% of our beaches um, you know, over the past few decades uh, due to sea level rise and due to shoreline armoring. So, you know, every time, you know, we get more erosion, then folks feel like they want to put up a seawall mm-hmm. and that seawall accelerates the loss of the beach. And, you know, those beaches are where we go to have our first birthday luau. That's where we go to, you know, we have the most number of people living per square foot under roofs because housing's so expensive here. Beaches are where we go to cool off, recreate, hang out with friends and blow off steam. So if we don't have beaches, um, you know, that's a huge blow to sort of our social cohesion and, and what gives us our quality of life here. So we really got to um, find ways to protect the things that protect us. Now, this plan that uh, uh, has been published has been long in the making, and I know that uh, it, it started off with the Hawaii, I mean, the 100 Resilient Cities, which was a Rockefeller kind of funded funded effort. Maybe give us a little bit of history as to how this plan came about. Yeah, absolutely. So we, you know, we really recognized when the office started that, you know, to be, um, you know, to have any validity or to to be able to build momentum around this issue, we really had to go out to the community and ask the community what were they worried about, what kept them up at night in terms of what their resilience issues were. Um, so we spent a lot of time uh, over a year going to every single neighborhood board on the island, 
talking to uh, 200 different community groups. Mm -hmm. um, and we had thousands of people actually put their mana'o into, you know, what they wanted uh, city and county government to focus on. And so really the strategy um, was developed out of hundreds of ideas that came out of the community. And then those were sort of vetted and, and um, prioritized until we got down to 44. So mm -hmm. the 44 that are in the strategy are sort of the, the ones that – uh, really rose up and uh, you know seized the community imagination about um, how can local government really help when we have federal government pulling back and and not focusing on climate and not protecting us? Uh, how do we have local government step up? And, and these are the forty four ways that they how said did we should you, do it. How did you uh, give me an example how this uh, community group was facilitated? Because I I'm aware of bringing the people together, yeah. and it was a facilitated uh, event exercise. People would ideate, come up with ideas. Yeah, yeah. How, what was the process by which you... So we did it a couple of different ways. I mean, I think what we tried to do is get outside of the normal, you know, let's have a public meeting, let's get some, you know, um, you know, boards up and, you know, put stickies on it. Um, the first one we did is we used technology. There's a thing called Mentimeter. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of like LiveSift, which is a local product mm -hmm. here. Um, and essentially you can have people on their smartphones and they can rank stuff, suggest stuff. It's on a live screen. It's happening. So we did essentially live polling at neighborhood boards and, and places and really got people to tell us on their phone um, what they thought and, and prioritize things and, and rank them up. So we used that. We also used a game. We actually developed uh, a whole game around climate action planning. Um, and that worked out really well, too. So we basically had groups of people um, decide which of the things that they would do first. So whether it's, you know, transform their transportation, get into an electric car or a hybrid, or whether they would ride a bike or whether they'd put solar panels on their home, what's the first things that they would do? And then we got a sense of what are the priorities are in the community. And so what are the implementations that we would have to do at the city and county to make sure they're able to do those actions. Um, so we, we, we actually had games with timing mm -hmm. and, you know, people had to place um, tiles on a, on a board. So we've been trying different stuff. Uh, we, we think it's fun. We get feedback. Some people, you know, they, they like the more serious way. And so we can accommodate that. But, you know, some people want to express themselves in other ways. We tried to incorporate that. Now, you said that you went out to neighborhood board meetings. What were generally the composition of the communities that you would bring in for some of these facilitated meetings? Well, so it was different. I mean, when you go to a neighborhood board, you're going to get whoever the community is that right. shows up there. Right. Um, you know, we did a ton of rotaries. We did a ton of, um, you know, outreach to different um, business affinity groups. But what we wanted to do is we wanted to get a good mix. And so in the end, we came up with, you know, about a quarter business, a quarter nonprofit, a quarter government, and then a quarter of folks that were retired and students and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, we think that was pretty reflective of the population. Um, you know, we did a lot of random outreach and we got a lot of random responses, but then those started to get honed. And, you know, the one thing that, w that the Rockefeller Foundation that helped support this work, they've worked in 100 cities around the globe. Honolulu was selected as one of 100 cities to really pioneer and, and to, to do this work. Out of 100 cities, they said that Honolulu had the most um, cohesion around people's agreeing with each other around what were the resilience threats to the island. So, you know, you could be in another city somewhere where somebody, one, one part of the population says, oh, it's policing, that's, the, that's my number one threat. And another part of the, that same city says, oh, it's overregulation, that's my mm -hmm. number one threat. They said in Honolulu, um, you know, when the results started coming in, they'd never seen unanimity around what are the threats to our island population, regardless what part of the island we were on or what dem demographic you looked at. And I think that says something about a small 
town community in a relatively big city setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're lucky to have that. And we're, that's what we're going to be acting on. So how did the, so what were some of the, the common uh, actions that were revealed as a result of this process? Yeah, so through the process, um, you know, the community really focused down on four areas that they said, we got to get this right if we're going to be resilient in the 21st century. Um, the first one is what we've called remaining rooted. Mm-hmm. And that's making sure that there's long-term affordability for residents um, because, you know, the cost of living here is is really prohibitive. People are, are actually moving away. We've had two years now where the population has declined in the state. First time that's ever happened in the history of a state. Um, the second one was really um, what we call bouncing forward, mm-hmm. which is sort of a play on bouncing back. And the idea is, is that we are getting more natural disasters because of climate change is one reason. Um, and so we got to be able to not just bounce back from those when it, they happen, but actually put ourselves in a stronger footing afterwards. Um, and you can think about Hilo in that, you know, as an example of that. You get hit by a tsunami in the 40s build the same town back. You get hit by a tsunami in the 60s and everybody goes, wait, let's not build back again. What we need to do is make sure we get together, have the political will, have businesses come together. Everybody gives a little bit of sacrifice so we can move our city to safer ground. And then when Hurricane Harvey, uh, when um, when the hurricane hit, mm-hmm. um, you saw those images of the soccer fields were flooded, but everybody was okay. And that's, that's an example of, of bouncing forward mm-hmm. and, and being more resilient. The third one was really focused on climate security. Um, we know that we're going to be a getting you know hit hit more with with uh, beach erosion and you know high winds and and these things with, with with climate change and the climate crisis. But also, how do we cut our emissions and make sure we get to 100% renewable economy as fast as possible to help protect ourselves? Um, and then the fourth one, which is actually the most important one, Bert, is um, community cohesion, and that's. You know, the number one tool of resilience is community, the social bonds that we have. And again, in Hawaii, we've got really strong social bonds. Neighbors know neighbors, cousins know cousins. Um, And whether it's Fukushima, Sandy, um, any of those disasters, the neighbors, the neighborhoods that bounce back fastest were the ones where neighbors knew each other the closest. Not necessarily the most wealthy neighborhoods, not necessarily the ones that had, you know, strong infrastructure. It's really where people jump in to help each other. And that's what we want to foster mm-hmm. uh, in part with the strategy. So these four pillars were, they, they come out sort of a natural grouping as a result of all the input you got from the, the, you know, the feedback from the community? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the first step that we did is we said, <clears throat> again, you know, what keeps you up at night? Mm-hmm. What, what, what really worries you in terms of resilience? We got those major areas. And then, then we asked folks, you know, well, what are the policy solutions that can help make us stronger in those four areas? And that's where the 44 came through. Um, we had... Oh, we had almost 200, um, I think, uh, suggestions. And then we had a working groups that focused on each of those four pillars. And they sort of worked and honed and combined and, mm-hmm. um, you know, focused in and then came up with about a dozen in, in each category that comes up with the 44 that are in the strategy. Yeah, so I, wanna, I do want to talk a little bit about how you drilled down from the, uh, the pillars and then you have the sort of the uh, actions and then you get down to the actual 44 actual action items. So I want to kind of get into what those are and how you will actually act on those. So we'll hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short uh, break to continue our conversation with Josh Stanbro from the Office of Resilience. And the we're talking about the Oahu Resilience Strategy. This is Bite Marks Cafe. 
Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And if you're just joining us, we're talking to Josh Dambro. He's a chief resilience officer for the, what is it, the uh, resilience office over at the city and county of Honolulu. And, of course, right before the break, we were talking about the four pillars and really the, the action items that came out of those discussions with the groups. And maybe maybe what we can do now is give us an example of some of the actual actions that were recommended maybe you know take a couple of the of the 44 which one would you like to pick and and then <laughs> what would you how would you uh characterize some of the actual tactics that might take on that action well it's hard i'm, I'm a dad i got two kids so it's like asking me to pick one kid yeah. above the, above <laughs> okay. the other kid but um okay okay i'll do it for you uh you know i think you know one of the ones that is coming up first is building codes um mm-hmm. not sexy but one of the things that rose right straight to the top of the list for people who you know think about this stuff is, are we building our buildings strong enough? Are we building our buildings efficient? Are we saving long-term costs for residents that live in our homes that we're building? So you can build, a, build something cheap and throw it up, but then you may end up paying more over time. If it's leaky, you're paying for AC that's just you know going out into the, um, into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So, you know... Building codes is really at the core of resilience, both from a strength and from an efficiency perspective. Um, and so um, Mayor Caldwell's administration has made a push this year to update all the building codes. That's electrical, that's energy, that's building, you know, the actual structural codes and then plumbing codes. And those are those are in process right now. And, and there's really a ton of innovation in there for the energy economy, um, you know, making sure we're heating our water with renewable, um, you know, uh, sources of energy, making sure that we're wiring our buildings in parking lots for the future, electric vehicles are going to be cheaper than fossil fuels within a few years. The industry is predicting that. What the last thing that we want to do is lock our population into having to buy a more expensive alternative. It's already cheaper. It's already cheaper to drive an electric car, the operations and maintenance. And pretty soon it's going to be cheaper to buy one too. And Mm -hmm. so we want to make sure that all the buildings we build that are going to be there for the next 30 years, um, you know, have the ability to, to plug in. So that's one, you know, that that's just one of the 44. There's a ton of others. There's this idea of resilience hubs. And really, you know, some of our um, rural and smallest communities are the ones that are championing some of the most innovative ideas. The community of Haula um, is amazing. You know, they've really come together. They are talking about building a resilience hub for the community. And, and really this concept um, really took life after Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico, where you have folks, you know, you get hit by a hurricane, where do you go? Where do you go to charge your phone? Where do you go to get information? Where do you go to to connect and get a signal? <laughs> you know, you brought okay, okay, okay. You you set me up for this. You know, I actually wrote down in my notes that I wanted to talk to you about these resilience hubs. And of course, you know, full disclosure, I'm the broadband guy, right? So I noticed that in the resilience plan there was no reference to broadband, and I did a search, and it doesn't come up anywhere. So in terms of creating these hubs. Connectivity and access is really important. So why do you think it never got mentioned you know, within the, within the strategy plan? Well, I can't come on this show and not expect to, to get that question. Um, so, you know, again, I talked about how these actions came about and how the pillars came about. It was really derived from the community. Um, we didn't have an action that was suggested from the community that we got to get broadband to every part of the island. Now, you and I know sitting here that that, that is as fundamental as, uh, you know, well, there's water first, right? Mm-hmm. Got to have water. 
power next, and then connectivity is a huge element of, um, you know, making people feel safe and connected and secure and bounce back fast. In fact, in, you know, Puerto Rico, after Hurricane Maria, people were driving around the island, burning precious gasoline in their cars, trying to find a signal just so they could let loved ones know back in New York or in Florida that they were okay. And so that, that human urge to connect is enabled um, by making sure that the, our infrastructure is safe and secure. It's not in this strategy, but it's on my mind now. Okay, Thanks now, you've, so uh, maybe, planted maybe the action number 45, right? <laughs> yeah. Broadband? If you're lobbying for actions, yeah, we got, number 45, broadband. Okay, I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> now, the, you know, the other question that I had was, these are, see, some of the actions are great. I like, you know, I like the idea of, of what you just brought up, whether it's uh, building codes or resilience hubs. How is you, is your office responsible for tracking the progress in all of these actions? So this is a city strategy, citywide, and uh, each action has sort of an an owner. So a different department is going to be is has been you know um, taken on ownership. They've hanaid mm-hmm, the, the action. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not just our office. This is a, a citywide effort, um, and. So each department will be pushing it forward. What we committed to do is try to find some metrics to make sure that as it gets implemented, are we making progress? Because we can't just assume, oh, a law got passed. Maybe that's, an, you know, that's enough. Let's go off and do something you know, completely different. We want to make sure that whatever the intended impact of that policy is actually working. Can it be tweaked? Can it be improved? Was it, is it not working at all? Do we have to go back and revisit the idea, the concept, the assumptions that were behind it? Um, and so we have two to three actual data metrics for each of the actions that we're going to try to track. Now, in some cases, we came up with da- with metrics that we may not have data for. And that is where we're going to have to find out: is there a community partnership we can? Is there, you know, is there another mm-hmm. agency that's collecting data and make sure that um, that we're able to, you know, what, what is it? Mike Bloomberg says, uh, you know, uh, we can't measure what you don't manage, right? right? We can't manage what you don't measure, and that's you, really what we're trying to do with it. Do this. you envision a dashboard that might uh, reflect all the actions and how you're progressing with it? We don't have plans for a dashboard right now, but we have an internal one for the office where we're track where we're we're trying to track that. Now, if we, um, it's a great idea. We can, you want to help us build one? Yeah, hey, call me up. <laughs> well, that'd be good. a great you know because there are dashboards like the Aloha Plus Challenge and yeah. you know if people can look at how we're progressing on any of these actions, that would be a great place for. And these things are going to take time. I mean, a lot of these policy actions. This is going to you know. Oh, yeah. Some of yeah, them are yeah. super short term. Uh, you know. Fantastic. Number, action number two, which was really, you know, we heard loud and clear from neighborhood. They wanted to focus on vacation rentals and make sure that their neighbors, neighborhoods weren't being hollowed out. Bill 89 passed, and we're hoping that number two is already in the books. Real quick, where can people download the uh, resilience plan? Yeah, if they go to resilientoahu.org, it's right there on the homepage, and we invite them to sign up for our newsletter as well. Very good. I'll put that up on our show notes for later on tonight. Josh Stambro is the Chief Resilience Officer and Executive Director of the City and County's Office of Climate Change, Sustainability, and Resilience. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Bert. And thank you for listening to Bite Mars Cafe. Join us next week when we will talk about Coralpalooza. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. Our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HPR One every Wednesday or anytime on the HPR app, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You stay awesome, and we will see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.